Amen. Well, since Easter, we've been looking at resurrection stories of Jesus. And what you can think to yourself, and actually, I, hopefully you are thinking this to yourself. You go, but Easter seems so long ago. You go, I know, right? Right? And, and this is part of the intention. I, I, we wanted to preach Pentecost, which will be next Sunday. We wanted to preach Pentecost on Pentecost Sunday. And as we looked at the stories of Jesus, well, let's just look at stories of Jesus leading up to that. And to give you a good idea, there's no way in the world we could ever duplicate what the original disciples felt and what they went through. There's just no way. But I thought, this might be close, in a sense, or at least get us a little bit closer. You go, Easter, the resurrection, that was so long ago. And you go, yes, and here they still are. This morning we're going to cover the ascension when Jesus leaves, but they're still waiting. And God is still saying, wait, wait, hurry up, wait. And then part of the problem with the Bible sometimes not with the problem with the Bible, but like our problem with our experience with the Bible is that, uh, to, to, to clarify, uh, is that, <laughs> I'll say what's wrong with the Bible, uh, <laughs> is that is, is it's, so, it's so condensed. And so we read these things. So you go, oh, Jesus resurrected, then he's going to the Galilee. And we're like, oh, and magically, in our minds, the disciples are in the Galilee next. And then now they're magically in our minds. They're back in Jerusalem, and Jesus departs. And I read that, you know, that, that, you know, 40, 50 days in just about two minutes. That didn't seem long at all. And yet when we live those 40 to 50 days, it seems like an eternity. And so we, we miss that sometimes in the Bible. And so what we've been doing here is we've been, we've been walking through, like, see, Easter seemed so long ago. And you go, well, kind of it was. And Jesus has been showing himself in the resurrected state, to the disciples. And he is, one of the couple of things that he's done is he's, he's one, shown them, like, I'm, I am alive, physically alive. It's a physical resurrection. And then he goes on to clarify the, the, the mission. What I want you to do, this is what we looked at last week, the Great Commission. What I want you to do is I want you to bring people into faith and then raise them up in that faith. The church is to exist. The mission of God is not, we're not, we, we don't exist, even as a church, we don't exist to, to, to um, all sorts of things, to, to teach you how to be better parents or to teach you how to be better for your finances. We don't even exist to carry out community service. Now, we may do those things and they may be to the benefit of the kingdom, but that's not the primary purpose. Jesus says the primary purpose of the church and, the, and of all disciples, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a disciple, is that you would bring people into faith and then you would raise them up in that faith. And then Jesus tells us, before we get too freaked out by that, because I can't do that, and Jesus is like, well, I know you can't do that. That's why you go with my power. You go in my power, you go my, I will, and you go in my presence. I will be with you always. Which is, I think is really interesting. How, I love how Jesus does this. I'm getting ready to go. I'm getting ready to leave, but I'll always be with you. Like, wait, well, which one is it, right? Sometimes, sometimes maybe God will communicate something to you, and you feel like, well, which one is it? And God's like, yes. You're going to leave or you're always going to be with me? Yes. And this is what he's doing. And I think a large part of the resurrection, the time, there's 40 days between the resurrection and what we're going to see today, the ascension. There's 40 days. I think the, the, the main thing that he's doing, is outside of showing himself as the resurrected uh, Lord, is that he's preparing them as a transition. For three years, it has been just come and follow, come and follow, come and follow, and I'll make you fishers of men. Come and just follow. Just do what I tell you to do. And then if, I, if I'm over here, you come with me. And then he's, he's transitioning from come and follow 
Now go and proclaim. Which is interesting because I think that sometimes when people hear from God, they go, man, God seems to be telling me to wait. Then you think to yourself, he's always going to be able to, he's always going to tell me to wait. Or God's like, go. So that means like, I always have to go. And you go, no, God will, God will change his call with you. He will, he will mold you and shape you according to his purposes. And so which means, by the way, sometimes God says, go. And sometimes he says, stay. Sometimes he says, hurry up. And sometimes he says, just slow down. And really, this is like the, this is the hard part. You go, well, which one is it? You go, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, God's going to change you according to his purposes. Now, sometimes when people are unsure about the call of God, I'll go, well, what did he tell you last? You go, well, the last thing he told me to do is wait. And I go, well, until you get new marching orders, just assume that the old marching orders still stand. That's kind of how it goes. And so he's giving them new marching orders. It was come and follow, come and follow. Now it's going to be this idea of go and proclaim. And this morning we're going to move into Acts. We've been just in the Gospels before. Now we're going to go into Acts. Now the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is the story of Jesus' Jesus's life, his birth, life, death, and resurrection. Uh, and now what we're going to see in Acts is we're going to see the ascension. And really the Acts is short for the Acts of the Disciples. And so if ever you want to read the beginnings of the church, how to go from Jerusalem to the world, you would read the book of Acts. That's what it tells us. And so if you've got your Bibles, that's where we're going to start this morning. We're actually going to start in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, and then moving forward. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them, after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, some of you may or may not know is that Acts is volume two of a two-volume set, right? Luke is, Luke is, is volume one, and Acts is volume two. And so Luke, who wrote both of these, wrote Luke and then the book of Acts, he's saying, so, O Theophilus, which can be described mean like beloved of God or, um, yeah, like, yeah, belongs to God, kind of. Uh, but O Theophilus, like I, I wrote to you here, and the, the first I told you the story of of Jesus, and I told you, and I love how what Luke, what Luke does here. If he's going to sum up, if he says I'm going to sum up the teaching of Jesus of his resurrection, this is what he says in the end of verse three, speaking about what the kingdom of God. If Luke wants to sum up the teaching of Jesus after the resurrection. He sums it up with the statement he was teaching about the kingdom of God. Now, do you know what Jesus was teaching before his death and resurrection? If you would guess the kingdom of God, you would be right. He was actually teaching the kingdom of God before, and he was teaching the kingdom of God after. Now, after the, the, his death and resurrection, this whole idea of kingdom of God is going to take on this new meaning. Now, there's big confusion when it comes to this idea of kingdom of God. What is it? It sounds good, doesn't it? The kingdom of God. Sometimes you maybe will hear the term the kingdom of heaven. Somebody will say, well, what's that? If there's a kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. We understand that for the most part, those terms are synonymous. In other words, you can, they're, they're the same. Kingdom of heaven is just the exact same way to say kingdom of God, depending on your audience. You go, well, that doesn't clarify anything. 
what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God, is, it's been defined before, and, and I like it. It's just this idea of it's God's people in God's place under God's authority. God's people in God's place under God's authority. What is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of heaven? People talk about heaven. Like, what do you think heaven's like? What is heaven? I go, I'll tell you what heaven is. It's God's people in God's place under God's authority. And as we understand, is heaven is, you know, heaven's eternal. Yes, so it means that there will be this eternal people in this eternal place under God's eternal rule. That's what it is. And so when we think about God's people, now this is just a regular kingdom, right? You think about any sort of kingdom. A kingdom has to have a people, right? Because if you have a king and a place but no people, then he's probably just a rancher, right? I mean, he's got a lot of land, <laughs> He's got no people, you know, but it just has to have, a, it has to have a, a, a people. Now, you could, you could have like a, a king, you know, so you could have a, a, a king and a people, but no place, right? That's often like a coup, right? It's like they're, they're going to rise up. They're going to take over. They're going to secure themselves a place. But we say every kingdom, every kingdom has to have a people and a place and a, and a king, and so when he talks about the kingdom of God, he summarizes his teachings as it's just about the kingdom of God. Now, now we'll see the kingdom of God in places like maybe you, you memorize the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Which is what? Thy will be done. Your authority on earth in this place as it is in heaven. That place too. So may your authority in the place of heaven also be the authority and the place of this earth. And so we see this. And then Jesus, when Jesus comes, he does a lot of teaching on the kingdom of God. I mean, you could read through the, the Gospels and you'll hear him say things like, the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It starts off really small, but then it grows. The kingdom of God is like leavened bread. Although there's just a little bit of leavening in the bread, the whole thing is going to rise. And really, his teaching on the kingdom of God is that it's going to start off really small, and then it's going to grow and grow and grow. And so the whole idea with the kingdom of God, it's this, this idea of this kingdom of heaven, is that it's, it's here, it's among us. This is what Jesus is saying. It's here, it's among us, but it's not yet. And so necessarily, the, the, like, heaven isn't necessarily like a, a place as we would go as much as it's, it's, it's God's place, God's rule over God's people. And so when Jesus talks a lot about this kingdom of heaven, he's talking about these things. How do you become a people? What does God's rule look like? I mean, you go through, through Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. He's going, this is what the, the rule of God looks like. This is how you become a child of God. This is how you become one of his. And this is the, the place. You're thinking this physical location. I'm telling you about something different. The people, the place, and the king look differently than what you think. This is why when I talk with people about heaven, they get so, sometimes they get, there's a, there's a critique now with Christianity that says that heaven, that, uh, that Christians are exclusive when it comes to heaven. 
that one of the things that Christians say is that, well, unless you're a Christian, you can't go to heaven. It's like, well, how can you cut me off from heaven, this good, wonderful place? And I go, there's a misunderstanding about what heaven is. And I think this is both on the Christian and the non-Christian side. What I think heaven is, is what Jesus seems to be teaching. It's God's place over God's people and under God's authority. And so if you're, not, if you're not a child of God and you're not like under his authority, then you're not in his kingdom. And I talk about people, I was like, you don't like, especially with non-Christians, they go, well, those, you Christians, you Christians, you're so exclusive about, about heaven. I go, well, this is what I, how I understand it. And it seems like to me, you don't, like, you don't really desire God's authority now. They go, nah, not really. Okay, that's, and that's, that's a fair answer. Then to, to me, what makes you think that you would want God's authority eternally then? You know, if you don't want it temporally, like right now, what would make you think that you would find joy in it eternally? See, part of the Christian journey is to say, I love belonging to God. I love the fact that he is my king and that I'm in his presence. And if you don't desire those things now, then I don't think eternity is going to, to cure that. So Luke sums, summarizes up his teaching as the kingdom of God is here. Verse 4. And while he was, and sorry, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. We've heard him say this, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So go to Jerusalem and wait. And what you're going to wait for is the promise, the promise of, of the Spirit is coming. Not many days from now. And as we know, it's actually 10 days. 10 days between the 40 days of the Ascension, which is this day, and then the, the, the uh, Pentecost, which is then 10 days later. So just go there and wait. And Jesus says, I remember I told you this, that John baptized you with water, but I'm going to baptize you with you are going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Now this idea that John's baptism was different. By the way, just because the Bible uses a word multiple times doesn't always mean that it means the same thing. John's baptism was different. If you go back and you're to read about John's baptism, John's, John's baptism, what John says is, John says what? Repent. So he's doing his teachings. Repent. In other words, turn around. For why? For the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. And then Jesus talks about this baptism in the Spirit. Why? Because no longer is the kingdom of God near, but the kingdom of God is here. Right? John's baptism was about the kingdom of God being near. The baptism of the Spirit is the kingdom of God is now here. It's no longer near. It may be near to you, but it's no longer near here. For it is here. And this becomes the big question. To which you may ask, yes, Josh, but what is the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Because there's a lot of controversy with this. And so you may ask the question, Josh, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? To which I would say, come next week as I talk about it. (laughs) You see what I did there? You see what I did there? No, really, we, we are going to talk about that. That's, that's Pentecost. Pentecost is the baptism, and even in my notes, I'm like, we've got a lot to cover this morning. We're going to cover that next week. And so even if you're not going to be here next week, we will, we will put it up on the app.
So then he says, go back and wait in Jerusalem. Then verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power. So yeah, you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so the question of the disciples is, is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Which is actually a very valid question by the disciples at some level. Because all of the prophecies, you can go in the Old Testament, all of the prophecies that talked about the Messiah, it says, with the Messiah, with the Messiah is going to come a, a restoration of Israel as a, as a nation. And so their question is like, well, you're the Messiah, and, and you're resurrected, so you have proven your power over death is, is, now, is now the time. Because right now at this moment, Israel is not a sovereign nation. They're sitting under Roman rule. The Romans are saying what they can and cannot do. And so they, they are being oppressed. And so here the Messiah has shown up. With the Messiah comes the kingdom. With the kingdom comes the restoration of Israel as a sovereign nation. And they go, is this the time? Isn't it perfect? Have you ever had these places in your life where, where the timing just seems so, so perfect? And yet the promise of God doesn't come to fruition. I'm just being honest. Like these, are, these are some, some, some difficult, like, uh, yeah, difficult, sometimes can be depressing, discouraging places. In other words, you're like, you start looking at how things are lining up. You're like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. Like God's work, his will, what he's doing, he's doing this over here. He, okay, I see what you're doing, God. And now you're doing this over here. And now you're doing this. This is the perfect time it could be no better than you now in this moment to fulfill a promise that you've given to me. All for the promise then to not come to fruition, which leaves you a lot of times confused because you go, then what was all that about? Everything was lining up. All, like, all of the ducks were in a row. I saw you moving. I saw you aligning things. And yet your promise didn't come to fruition. If you've ever been discouraged by something like that, you'll know the place of the disciples. Israel's oppressed. You're the Messiah. You have conquered the grave. Oh, man, the, the timing could not be any better. Is now the time that you're going to restore Israel? And by the way, before you think that the disciples just wanted Israel to be restored, they're, they, they're, they, they, they're not altruistic in their request. And their question. Do you know that before Jesus goes to, to, to Jerusalem for the final week before he dies, James and John, the two brothers, they go to Jesus and they say, Jesus, I'm going to paraphrase some things now, but in the coming kingdom, can we sit at your right and your left in your glory? In other words, like we, Jesus, we don't want to sit on the throne. The throne is yours. But what we would like to do is we would like to sit on the right side of it and on the left side of it and places a position of power and honor and sit in your glory in the new kingdom. It says that the other disciples were indignant at the request. 
I love that. They were indignant. And so, so they're thinking, if now is the time that you're going to restore Israel, great. Because you're the king of Israel. And if you're going to restore Israel, that means that we get to rule with you. And I love Jesus' response. Jesus, is this now the time? He's been teaching about the kingdom of God. He said, is this now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus' response is, it's not for you to know. Literally translated in the Greek is, it's not any of your business. I'm teasing on that. I'm just kidding. But that's the general idea. That's not, that's like, that's, that's no business of yours. He says, but let me tell you what your business is. Your business is to go into the world. You're going to receive power and you're going to be my witnesses. By the way, neither one of these seem to be requests. I'm going to offer you power in order that you might be my witnesses. There's two, there's two emphatics here. It's like, one, you're, you are going to receive the power. Whether you like it or not, as we're going to find out next week, whether, whether they liked it or not, they, the power comes. It's just the power comes on them. And so you're going to receive the power, and with that power, you're going to be my witnesses. Which means that the source is the power, is from God, but the witness is even, like the story. In other words, you're going to go tell the world the story. And both the power and the story come from God. In other words, you don't have to make up the story and you don't have to conjure up the power. Both of the things that God is requesting, so the one thing he's requesting is go be my witnesses, both of them find their source in God. Both the story and the power come from him. And he says, and you're going to do this in Jerusalem, you're going to do this in uh, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the world. Now, interestingly enough, this actually, in case you, you love uh, outlines, um, is actually, this is how the book of Acts is outlined. So you could read, actually, uh, Acts chapter 1 through 7 is about Jerusalem. Judea and Samaria then goes from chapter 8, verse, uh, yeah, 8 through, uh, sorry, chapter 8, verse, through uh, chapter 11, verse 18, and then eleven nineteen through the end of the chapter, the end of the book, is actually the rest of the world. And so sometimes you'll even hear me say, and in fact, I even did said in the prayer this morning, we talk about we want to be about God's mission locally, regionally, and globally. And that's actually based in this verse, that locally, Jerusalem, regionally, Judea, Samaria, and then the world, global. And I love how he just jumps to that. Like for us, it would be Sacramento, and sort of the Sacramento area would be our local, then the regional and then the world, which is why we invest in the, the local church. Here we are. We are part of an association. I invest, and even as a, as a church, a community, we invest in our association that works with churches across Northern California and Nevada, which is our, our region, and then globally. And it's interesting. It's like we don't, like we're not, like we, we, we picked up all three because I don't think we're given the option. Oh, we're going to be a church that's just about global missions, but neglect the local church. You go, that's, that's not an option for us. Or we're just going to be a local church that just focuses on the care of the people here. And, you know, people around the world, they can, they can really kind of fend for themselves. God's called people over there too. Go, that's not an option either. And unfortunately, too often, I think what's left out is the regional church, the in-betweener. 
And so maybe we do the local church well, and we do the global church well, but then the network of churches, of, of brothers and sisters in ministry get neglected. In our church association, there, there are church pastors that, that are in these really remote communities in these small churches that don't have a lot of uh, peer community. And so our church association gives them community. And what Jesus says, is, I want you to go to all three. It's my power. It's my story. Now you're going to go tell it. And you're going to go tell it to who? My people. In other words, you're going to increase the God, the kingdom of God. God's people in God's land under God's authority. But did you catch the question, right? Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom of God. What's the disciples' question? When are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? I love the question. But that's not what Jesus has been talking about. Jesus has not been talking about, let me tell you about the the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. It's like a seed. And it starts off really small and then it's going to grow. What he's been talking about this whole time is the kingdom of God. Their question is, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, sure, that's great. But what about Israel? What about the kingdom of Israel? To which I think that Jesus is, at some level, his response is, the kingdom of God is not the kingdom of Israel. And don't confuse the two. You see, I think if we had to like, and probably if you had to, to summarize a lot of your frustration with your unanswered prayers, might go along something like this. You've been asking God to increase your kingdom, and God's been saying no. Why? Because he's going to increase his kingdom. And the increasing of his kingdom does not necessarily mean the increasing of your kingdom. See, what you're asking is like, what he's asking is like, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Yeah, 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 sure. But when are you going to restore my kingdom? The one that I belong to. The one that, that I have, that in this coming one, I'll have power and honor. When are you going to do that one? I think at best sometimes what we think and maybe what you think is this idea that, what, that, that the way that we work with God is I help him with his kingdom and then he helps me with my kingdom. And even your prayers may be, God, if you enlarge my kingdom, I will then enlarge your kingdom as if, he need, as, as if he's required to enlarge your kingdom so that his kingdom can be enlarged. In fact, he could shrink all of our kingdoms into little fiefdoms and in doing so could enlarge his kingdom. I think one of the people that, that got this the best was John the Baptist. You know, at some point in the John the Baptist, he had this thriving ministry, thriving ministry. People would coming out to see him, to be baptized by him. His ministry starts to shrink. His disciples notice. And do you know what his disciples say? He goes, uh, John, we, we've noticed. We've noticed more people are going to Jesus to be baptized. In other words, his ministry is growing and booming. So what do we do? How do we solve this problem our kingdom is shrinking his kingdom is is gaining steam how do we solve this problem maybe we could do a baptisms and like five dollar starbucks cards or something like that maybe like we could like maybe we could we could up it you know we could like offer something better you know john's response is basically he must increase and i must decrease 
how could John, you know what, people are, how could John make that prayer? How could John say those sorts of things? I'll tell you how John could say those things. Because he was more concerned with the kingdom of God than he was his own kingdom. And part of the, the struggle that, that I have with God, that you have with God, is that we want him to enlarge our kingdom as we enlarge his kingdom. Now, this may or may not shock you, but God isn't necessarily concerned with your kingdom. God is most concerned with his kingdom. And it quite possibly could be that the increasing of his kingdom means the shrinking of yours. And I'll tell you this, like with John the Baptist, if and when that ever happens, whose kingdom wins out will be clear. I think a lot of struggle that you have that I have with God is this idea, whose kingdom is going to prevail? Because only one will. So, oh, yeah, I do want one more thing on that. I was almost done. We were almost going to the other part. We were not. We actually, because we, we, we it was brought up in our, our men's group on, uh, on Friday. We've been going through the book of Joshua. And right before they go to, to defeat Jericho, so they're getting ready to, the, the walls of Jericho, they're going to go fight that battle. And Joshua runs in, it says that he runs into the commander of the Lord's army. And, and Joshua, when he greets the commander of the Lord's army, which I, I think is, is God in flesh, so Jesus, spoiler alert, and... Um, Joshua's question is to him, he goes, who's basically, who are, you, who are you for? Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? The commander of the Lord says, no. <laughs> nope. I'm the, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. And we talked about that on Friday morning. Like, what could that mean? You go, yeah, this idea is like, are you on my side or my enemy's side? And then Jesus says, I'm on neither one of your sides. I'm on my side. And the question is, are you on my side? The question is, who's on my side? Who's, whose kingdom is being grown? You want me to be a part of your kingdom? Or do you want to be a part of my kingdom? Because sometimes those two, are, those two ideas are mutually exclusive. Now we can go on. Verse 9. And when he had said these things, they were looking on, and he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus whom was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so this is what we understand to be the, what we would call the ascension. And so Jesus says these things, not for you to know, but you're going to receive my power and you're going to be my witnesses in, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And he says that and then he just, he just goes up into heaven. And I, now I can't, there's a lot of things I can imagine. I cannot imagine this moment. Like what would that be like? And just to, to watch that. And then these two, I, I understand them to be, to be angels. These two angels that say, men of Galilee, why are you staring into heaven? Why are you gazing up there? Why are you gazing up there? Why do, you, why do you stand looking into heaven? It's a rhetorical question, by the way, which is, what are you doing? What are you doing? 
Like when you'd ask a kid, like, what, what are you doing? Well, I, I was just eating the cookie. No, 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 no. That, that was, I, was, I was saying, like, like, what are you, like, what are you doing? What were you thinking? What are you doing? Why, why are you gazing into heaven? And I, what I think is interesting, most interesting about this part is actually then, they, then the angels give them a reason to gaze into heaven. Right? Which is like, why are you gazing into heaven? He's going to come back this way too. You're like, well, now I got a good reason because he's going to come back this way. I got a reason. To, so now as I'm watching him leave, but after you gave me new information, he's going to come back this way. Now I can watch for him to return. So I think it's really interesting. In other words, you shouldn't be gazing into heaven. Oh, and by the way, he's coming back this way too. You shouldn't be doing it, but let me give you a reason why you, maybe you could do it. And I go, isn't that the tension that we are to live in in Christianity? Where we anticipate the return of Jesus, but not to the place in which we become inactive and passive, but that we are hard at work. That's the idea. You know, that, the, that, that Jesus could have set this up in any way he wanted to. He doesn't need us to take the, the, the message to the world. He's, he's invited us in to be a part of that. He didn't need to give us his power. He didn't need us to, to give us the, the witness, the story even to tell. And really, what he could have said, he, he could have just said, depart, depart. As he's departing, he could have said, I'm going to come back this way, and you watch the skies until I do. And you watching the skies will tell me how faithful you are. And so we would gather on a Sunday. We wouldn't have a roof. We would just gather on a Sunday. And we would just all look up and we would think maybe today would be the day. We would say, no, today is not the day. Let us close in prayer and then we will return next week. But let us keep our eyes on the heavens. What he says is, I'm coming back. So anticipate that, know that, that is the blessed hope. But when I come back, and this is what Jesus teaches before he leaves even, even before the death, is re- death and resurrection. When I come back, I want to find you doing my work. And by the way, my work is not to gaze up into heaven waiting for me to come back. I think who got this best one of the things was Paul. When Paul was in prison, he writes this in Philippians, and it's a famous statement by Paul. But he says, um, to, to, to live as Christ and to die as gain. Where Paul says, basically, I, w- I, would, I would, and he's not, he's not dying of an illness, by the way, it's, it's death penalty. So if it comes back guilty, the charges come back guilty, they will put him to death. If they come back innocent, he'll be set free. So really what he's praying is he goes, actually, I'm hoping, I'm really kind of hoping for a guilty verdict. Because if I get the guilty verdict, they're going to kill me, and then I get to be with Jesus but I've got this feeling that I'm not done here, so I think it's going to come back innocent, and they're going to set me free, and I'm going to build churches. And not just buildings like this, but actually the people. And so what, what, what Paul says is, is, I want to be with Jesus. And that's what he even says there. If I had the choice, if it was up to me, I would, I would, I would pick Jesus now, like right now. Like just take me right now. But choice isn't up to me. Not about my kingdom. But it's about God's kingdom, and I think he's going to release me. And when he releases me, until the day that I die, I'm going to build his church. I'm going to build his people. I'm going to, by his power, proclaim the story in which he has given me to tell. And so, 
the last words of Jesus, by my power and by my story, you will tell the nations. When will you restore my kingdom, God? It's not for you to know. Maybe not even this side of, uh, of heaven. When will you restore my kingdom, God? This morning, if that's been your prayer or versions of it, when will you restore my kingdom? When will you return me to a place of honor, to a place of power, to a place of significance? When will you restore me in my kingdom? Maybe you would hear Jesus say the same this morning. That's not for you to know. That's not for you to know. What you're to be about is by his power, you'll take his story to the nations. And so, my question to you is whose kingdom's been winning out? And when the two kingdoms do this, the kingdom that in your life prevails is the one that you deem is more important and more significant. And if all you're doing is using Jesus to enlarge your kingdom, I got good news and bad news for you, and it's the same news. It's not his desire. And it could be through the collapsing of your kingdom that his grows. And then to that, just like John the Baptist, it would be to the praise of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you this morning for your mission. May we, by your power, take your story about how people become yours, about your place, about your kingdom, that as, as you being under your authority, that, that, that you would win out. That we would really be a part of the kingdom and help grow the kingdom. Bringing people to you, to your place, under your authority. And maybe our kingdom's our people, our place, our rule, our roof, maybe that needs to shrink so that yours may grow. Jesus, help us be about your kingdom. That's been the call. That's been the call for 2,000 years. Help us be about enlarging your kingdom. Not ours. Not ours as our, our homes, our families, our communities. Not ours as our countries or even as humanity. But when we, we come into your kingdom as your people in your place under your rule. We love you. We pray for these things in your name. Amen.